Hello, children. Welcome to Sunday School Bonanza. Nice to have you with us this week as we bring you more gospel doctrine preview and review and get you ready to go to church. I'm joined this week by the immaculate Dustin Homer. <laughs> Pleasure to be here as always. Thank you. Nice to have you here, buddy. We're on lesson 18 this week. Establish a house of God. I'm stoked for this. It's all about temple stuff. And I love talking about temples. I think temple temple study is one of my personal favorite uh, things in the gospel, which is ironic because when I first went to the temple, I did not like it. Really? No, did not like it. That's a whole other topic for another day. Well, I'm glad you've come around. But I'm, I'm very pro-temple now. I'm, it's exciting to me. So attention activity here, pretty good. I like it. And I'm going to... And I'm going to challenge you as a listener, or maybe Dustin can pretend he's the listener. We'll see. Ask see you a I'm few questions here. All right. First question for you to think about. How many temples were built by the Lord's covenant people before this dispensation? Four. Four. And they were, I will tell you, there of course was the temple uh, that was built in the days of Solomon, which was rebuilt twice and known at different times as the temple of Zerubbabel mm-hmm. uh, and the temple of Herod. So it had different names, but there was a temple there on that spot. And I believe today, of course, that's the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Right. Uh, the other temples come from the Book of Mormon. They're mentioned as the temple that Nephi builds in 2 Nephi 5, the temple in the land of Zarahemla, from which King Benjamin gave his final address, uh, Mosiah 1 and 2, and the temple in Bountiful, where the people gathered before the appearance of the resurrected Lord. And that's, of course, in 3 Nephi 11. 3 to 1. Good work, Nephi. <laughs> Good job. Uh, and then, of course, another question for you. Five temples were built or planned during the life of the prophet Joseph Smith. Five. Five, which must have been Nauvoo, Kirtland, Far West, Independence, and Adam on Diamond. Well played. How many of those were actually constructed? Only two. Yeah. And was Nauvoo done before Joseph Smith was martyred? Indeed not. No. Was not. So it's amazing to think that with everything we have in temples today, the overwhelming majority of it was revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith, obviously. But he did not live to see the full completion of uh, the temple as we know it today. We're going to talk a lot about the Kirtland Temple today, which served a different purpose entirely. Uh, Things that we talk about of of vicarious work for the dead, uh, the ceilings and stuff, that was a little bit of a blurred line as far as when things like that went down. But the Kirtland Temple wasn't necessarily for that purpose. And so it's something to consider as we go into this today to understand why the Kirtland Temple is so important. Uh, And it's amazing to me as a side note that the church has not successfully purchased it back from the community of Christ because they have to have been throwing, trying to throw money at them for decades, I would guess, to get it back. But, you know, as long as they keep needing cash. We, we bought Hans Mill last year. So <laughs> Wait, we did? Yeah, we did. I didn't know that. Yeah, they stole Hans Mill. We bought it. Anyway, well, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's coming then. Yeah, so, hey. so great lesson here on temple stuff. And it starts out talking naturally about, uh, I guess we might say, the genesis of the Kirtland Temple. But the thing that's really fascinating about the story about the Kirtland Temple is you think about the time period, and the Lord commands Joseph Smith and the saints to build this temple right. when they're destitute, when they've recently come to this new place in Kirtland, when there's all kinds of, of trauma happening in Missouri. And the Lord tells them to build a temple and they put it on the list, right? Like they put it on the list, sure. but they don't really get to it. And, uh, you know, I don't blame them. Like I probably wouldn't have either because they were trying to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Lord comes back and chastens them, you know, really strongly through the prophet and says, you know, get up and build this temple. Like you've sinned. I mean, he says it, he says you've committed a grievous sin because you yeah. haven't begun building this temple. He lays it down pretty hard. And then they. Doctrine and Covenants 95, the by the way. Yeah. Sorry. 95. Stuff. And so four days after the revelation comes, 
they start working on the temple. They start cutting stone for the temple. And um, anyway, it's clear that the Lord was serious about this. And I don't know, that's a pretty big lesson, I think. Uh, one we're talking about in the class that when the Lord gives a commandment, even if it seems far beyond our scope to be able to accomplish right now, he expects it to be done and he gives us the capacity to do it, even if it's hard. And I love that we see that, especially we quote, we reference Nephi all the time, Yeah, but it's absolutely true. It's a pr- if we have the faith to say, look, the way has been provided, it'll be taken care of. Even if it involves sacrifice, it'll be done. Yeah. Like you might live in a sod hut, but I build my house. I mean, that's basically what he was saying. So <laughs> yeah. pretty phenomenal. But anyway, um, you know, the Lord gave some specific commandments too about how it should be done, right? Um, about, you know, kind of the quality of the workmanship that should go into it, what what materials should be used. I mean, it was very clear that the Lord had a plan for what this temple should be, and he wanted to teach his children something really clear about what it means to build a house of God because that hadn't been done for a couple thousand years. Well, yeah, I mean, didn't the saints, uh, many suggest to build it out of, you know, wood, logs? Yeah. Just stuff that was there and say, hey, let's use the materials that we have. And of course... Makes sense. I would have been all over that. You yeah, know? but they said, no, no, no. No, no. Actually, I think there's a quote from Joseph Smith where he said, shall we build a house for our God of logs? No, I have a plan for the house of the Lord given by himself. And you will soon see by this the difference between our calculations and his idea of things. <laughs> well like, said, President. Like. That's good. Anyway, so yeah, that was good stuff. Then we're going to move on to some of the sacrifices that were made uh, to build the temple. And this is very straightforward. Dustin and I were even talking about this before because I, I feel like the sacrifices we envision a lot of the times for temple construction, we easily reflect upon Salt Lake Temple, Nauvoo, where there were temporal, financial sacrifices, sacrifices of means, but we also forget about the political and societal issues that were going on that made them difficult to just build a temple, which we saw later on, which is why there was no temple in Independence or Far West or mm-hmm. Adam on Diamon. A lot of that was simply because they could not get, their neighbors would not let them construct it. Kirtland didn't have those hurdles, but instead, like Dustin said, the saints were destitute. This was arguably the poorest period of the church. Uh, and I don't know if this was before or after the good old banking scandal or not. I'm, mm, not, I'm not entirely sure. But um, they had nothing. And you hear these famous stories, you know, of people donating their china so that the the finish on the plaster on the outside would shimmer, which I assume it still does to this day. Stuff like that. Very enormous sacrifices. And I think that's great. And I think it's what a way to be galvanized as a people, yeah. to, to be honed. I remember when I, uh, I'm from Orange County, California, and when they announced the Newport Beach Temple, it was pretty cool because they told us that they wanted the Saints to finance the entire construction of it. And it was the first time since Kirtland that, uh, in like the modern era, that uh, the Saints were asked to foot the entire bill. Nothing came out of the temple fund for it. I mean, if you're going to do it anywhere, do it in Orange County where you've got guys who can drop a million dollars a piece for it, right? I mean, it makes sense. You know, but the, still. This, but still. Yeah. But it was cool because I think we all took a certain pride in almost that second tithe that was required of us to be able to construct that building. And so, yeah, I mean, I go there today. It's It's been given to the Lord. That's the point of it. But there is a certain measure of satisfaction when you realize, like, hey, I sacrificed. I was just in college at the time, but, hey, this doorknob came out of what I was able to do or something like that, right? Very cool. And I think even though it is the Lord's, you, you can take a lot more pride in it from that. And then the temple was dedicated. We go to section 109, famous section of scripture here, the dedicatory prayer for the Kirtland Temple, the first temple dedicatory prayer of this dispensation. There have been many more since. There's a bit of trivia for you. How many more temple dedicatory prayers have there been since then? Ooh. Because someone would just say 141 because that's how many operating ones we have. Oh, but 
but some have been rededicated. Nauvoo was dedicated and then subsequently rebuilt. So however you want to count that. Maybe you can count that for us for next week. Also the Apia Samoa temple burned down and then they rebuilt it. So many great things, but this is unrelated. Um, Interesting bit of scripture here, and it also counts not just as a dedicatory prayer, but as a revelation that he received. So basically, Joseph Smith received the revelation on how to dedicate the temple in that moment, and it was later, you know, he dictated it, and it was written down, uh, which is fascinating to me. Lots of cool stuff happened in this case, and one thing that I find interesting, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, is uh, I've always noticed that, of course, in this prayer, Joseph Smith is is alluding to and speaking with Jehovah, which, and of course, we talked that we we pray to Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ for right. our worship. And every dedicatory prayer of temple since then is a prayer to Heavenly Father to take care of the temple. So I always found this interesting, and I believe that, uh, I think what you say, Joseph Smith just gets a leeway because it was the early days. Yeah, he gets carte blanche. He can yeah, do whatever. He can do what he prophet. wants. But I honestly feel that because it is a a revelation at the same time with that matches up with the revelations of doctrine and covenants, which are yeah. not from heavenly father to Joseph Smith. They are from Jehovah yeah. to Joseph Smith. So as we see things that happened, uh, they did the Hosanna shout, uh, they sang the spirit of God. And that's why we love that hymn so much because it really dates back to the Kirtland temple. And that's why even today we sing the spirit of God. We do the Hosanna shout. I hope, I hope anyone listening has had the chance to uh, attend a temple dedication, either in person or via closed circuit. Have you ever been to one? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, me too. And it's a cool experience. I was on my mission when we rededicated the new Nauvoo Temple. And I remember the mission president said, look, you know, all of you even need to get a white handkerchief and make sure you have one. Even though you're way over in Spain, it was cool. And it was amazing because they said that every meeting house, and you've probably seen this too, during a dedication like that is considered an extension of the temple. So mm-hmm. you had men standing outside of the meeting house, checking temple recommends, all the usual stuff, all the trimmings. Very cool. That's <laughs> great. Very cool. And, you know, it's, uh, it's well, a couple of things. I mean, first, they were there for like seven hours. I mean, this was kind of yeah, like the day of Pentecost with just like, you know, comparing the outpouring of the spirit that happened. I mean, Wait till section 110. Yeah. You want to talk Pentecost? <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. All yeah, right. Um, but really, really went in and talked in great detail about the, you know, both the the uh, the um, responsibilities of church members um, in, you know, kind of moving under this new era of service, but then also all the blessings that the, that the prophet requested on behalf of the membership. Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, really, really kind of like underscored the importance of them, you know, seeking and putting effort into learning and about yeah. doing all of this in the name of the Lord and about worthiness and about preaching the gospel and really kind of like setting forth this temple as a place where the saints would sacrifice, but to go and gain revelation and gain closeness with God, then go forth and bring the restored gospel to the earth. Yeah. And, and really that, I mean, that's what he, that's what he centered around, but then went on in the prayer to talk about a number of blessings that, you know, had been prepared for the people. And, and, you know, it's interesting. He, I mean, again, this is a, a difficult time. There's all kinds of trials that are happening, especially to the saints down sure. in Missouri. And he talks about first, the first blessing is that the Holy Ghost would be poured out upon them. That absolutely happened. But then he went on and, and then talked about, he talked a lot about these trials, actually, you know, about, about prevailing against the enemies, uh, about breaking off the yoke of affliction. In fact, the prophet even says in this prayer, he says, he says, you know, let the yoke break right now. I mean, it's like this really, it's this really powerful, powerful, like commanding language where he talks about the saints being preserved, like in their afflictions and trials. And what I found so interesting about it is that it kind of didn't happen. Right. I mean, it just got worse. Mm -hmm. And, and so even though, I mean, this was an inspired revealed prayer and it was the desire of their hearts, it didn't get any better. 
but they found refuge. And that is a big lesson that I kind of take away from what's happening here is, I mean, the Lord seldom just takes away our trials. He seldom just breaks the yoke and lets us walk away. But he does give us strength and he does give us his house as a refuge. And that's what they found there was a refuge for a time. Yeah. That's a great insight. I like it. Uh, let's move to section 110. Is that cool with you? 110. 110. The, uh, now, what happened, of course, the day after this wonderful dedication, this outpouring of the Spirit where where the Lord dictated what was required of the saints and the blessings they stood to to reap uh, through through humble and good and diligent worship. 110 is amazing. This is when you have, of course, the prophet Joseph just hanging out, you know, with Oliver Cowdery in the temple, praying, doing their thing. Good place to be. And then... This is really, I think, where we see st- the fulfillment of the true restoration, I think, coming forth. And this is when I, in my opinion, w- why this temple had to be constructed. Because what was restored in this temple was so holy that the Lord couldn't just do it in a log cabin. Yeah. He couldn't just do it in a sacred grove even at this point in time. It had to be done in a place that was dedicated and sanctified uh, for these things to happen. Of course, there's a lot of good stuff here. I think we could we could tag team a little bit of this. Uh, but Moses appeared to them. Of, first of all, Jesus Christ appeared to them in the temple in, in all his glory and accepted the house, yeah. which I think is awesome. Uh, after that, Moses appeared, and he restored the keys for the gathering of Israel. Now, the question is, what does that mean for us today? And that's why I like the lesson actually breaks this down. It means the authority to preach the gospel and to do missionary work, to gather Israel in, which I think is cool. Yeah, and then... Then uh, again, you know, next uh, Elias comes and gives the keys of the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, which for me has always been a little bit hard to wrap my head around the Abrahamic covenant, right? The idea that, you know, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I mean, I don't really understand all of the, the principles surrounding that other than that the keys of the gospel of Abraham mean that everybody will have an opportunity to be blessed, to prosper to grow and increase in their posterity and in their, in their, you know, kind of yeah. position within the kingdom of God. And, uh, I don't know if you have additional insight on that. I'd be really curious. To uh, uh, well, and not entirely because that aspect of the Abrahamic covenant is interesting. It's basically just, you're blessed with posterity and making things happen. Well, the part for me that's always been interesting is the whole Elias thing. Cause who is Elias? Yeah. Uh, most would argue that it's Noah for most research I've seen because Elias is often used as a title, a forerunner sort of thing exactly. that it talks about. And in this case, I've, most stuff I've read argues, it's not official, but says that it is likely Noah who came. And it's also supported, I think, in some New Testament scriptures because they refer to the angel Gabriel, which is Noah, and yada, yada, yada. Anyway. And it'd be appropriate, yeah. but It makes sense, yeah. But the bottom line is that we all get to become part of the house of Israel and uh, you know dwell in the kingdom of, course, of God. Why didn't Abraham show up to do this? It is kind of funny. We have all these visitations of angels, but like Moses shows up, but like Abraham doesn't show up. Isaac doesn't show up. It could have been. Maybe. Who's Elias, right? Yeah. And then, of course, we have Elijah, which is a different beast. And this, of course, restored <laughs> the sealing power, which is huge. And this is what enabled us to do vicarious work and also to do work in this life, to do ordinances for oneself. And he restored that power uh, to the prophet Joseph. And Awesome. Yeah, and everything else came from that. I mean, that's what... I. Th- like it's really just illustrative about the way the Lord works with us that they had to go to so much effort to build this temple in order to receive these blessings, just like you said before. 
I mean, we really have to work and want something in order for the Lord to give us this higher knowledge that yeah. then leads to everything else. Because everything that happened after, where the, the full, you know, kind of temple blessings were restored and the sealing power and the endowment and everything, that came later in the next temple. Right. But they had to build this one in order to get the springboard to really proclaim the gospel and understand the deeper ordinances of the Melchizedek priesthood. Yeah. That's the main thing it did. And of course, temple work, you know, and to, to wrap up, it continues into our day. Uh we're recommended, we're counseled by President Howard W. Hunter, who actually encouraged us. He said, let us be a temple attending and a temple loving people. Let us hasten to the temple as frequently as time and means and personal circumstances allow. And he goes on to say some other things. But I think that is very powerful counsel. And what I've seen, unfortunately, is that while we see the blessings of temples extended more and more and more throughout the world, it becomes easier to not feel the need to sacrifice as much to get there. Mm. And we can become lazy with our temple worship. So it's this double-edged sword, but I've seen it time and time again when before, like I saw this on my mission in Spain, they used to have to travel to Switzerland. It was a trip. It was a thing. They worked for it. They were excited for it. Now you have one in Madrid. No spot in Iberia is more than four hours away from it. And even the Spaniards will joke like, oh, we're terrible. This whole place is supported by Portuguese and Italian folks. And that's, you know. But I think it's really important that we don't take it for granted. It's a huge blessing to get them nearby. And I get excited every conference when new temples are announced. And just for your information, since we have it here, 141 operating right now, 13 under construction, 16 announced. That's of uh, May of 2013. If anyone's listening to this four years from now, <laughs> we're doing these lessons again. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, go to the temple. I have a huge testimony of temple work. I think it's awesome. And... It'll change your life. You're really excited about that. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. It's a, well, so, it's, a, so, it's a solemn thing, but uh, yeah, pretty pretty um, telling about, I mean, it, it really illustrates how rapidly the work of God is moving forth right now. That We've got a lot to do, and we need to step it up. And I think the temple is that remarkable bridge between every aspect of our doctrine when you come to understand it. If you don't understand the temple or have questions about it, study the Old Testament. Study these things and see how it all ties together. I think with without the temple, I feel like a lot of the great doctrines of the Old Testament in particular would just be kind of these peripheral things that are weird, but you really see how it all comes together when you when the temple comes into play. And I think that's that's intentional, yeah. I would argue. And can I just say, I once, sure. I once thought that maybe temple work was for older people that had a little more time than me. And I even told my mission president one time, oh, no. like, why, why, president, would I ever need to worry about temple work when there's so many living people that need the gospel? He looked at me and he said there's a lot of your kindred dead that are waiting for you to get to work. Yeah. And I walked away pretty humbled. We all have a lot of work to do to redeem a lot of souls. Yeah, I think we'll, we need to work hard at that until the prophet says, guys, we're all caught up. Yeah. We're squared away. Yeah. Everything's fine. Uh, anyways, we're going to wrap up now. This, once again, has been Lesson 18 of the Gospel Doctrine Manual for uh, Church History, Doctrine and Covenants. It's called Establish a House of God. You're mostly in Doctrine and Covenants 95, 109, and 110. Uh, you can find this at thisweekinmormons.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio as well, if you search for it. Uh, find us on facebook.com slash thisweekinmormons and at the real twim on Twitter. And send us an email, contact at thisweekinmormons.com. I get so tired of spewing off that laundry list of things. <laughs> but du we all love it. Dustin, I love having you here. Thanks for being here, buddy. Great to be here. Thanks, everybody. Folks, we hope you have a great Sunday. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, this has been Sunday School Bonanza, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.